everyone. This is Heather Evans with Red, White, and Confused. So this is actually the second week that my students in my media and politics class have been taking over the airwaves with doing their own productions for the radio show. They've actually been working at this all semester trying to get guests onto the show to talk about things that are related to media and politics. This week, three additional students join us to share their project with all of you. Um, we have Caitlin Parton, Andrew Leonard, and Emily Ward, who are going to be talking about a very serious issue um, that we've discussed in our class, which is simply why do some people make national media attention and even local media attention and others don't when it comes to missing persons reports? Um, so I'm going to turn the show over to them in just a moment, and uh, I hope that you enjoy their program. But before I do, I actually wanted to highlight a local missing person who has been missing since September 6th of 2020, uh, Myra Ramey. She has been missing from Davenport, Virginia for a while now, almost coming up on two years. Uh, Myra was last seen... Um, actually, it says on her missing persons report, the last contact that she had was from her boyfriend in the early morning hours on um, September 6th. The statement made um, was that Myra Ramey and her boyfriend were traveling on Indian Creek Road in the Davenport section of Buchanan County when she got out of the vehicle that they were traveling in, and she has not been seen since. So Myra Ramey um, has blonde hair, and she um, her natural color is brown, but she had dyed blonde hair at the time. Her hair was approximately shoulder length. She has a scar on her left knee. She also has a faded laser-treated tattoo on her ankle. She, her clothing description, she was wearing a blue or gray shirt and gray leggings and bright pink tennis shoes, and she was carrying a coach purse. Now, again, she was reported to be traveling in her boyfriend's vehicle. When she exited the vehicle on the roadway in, um, on Indian Creek Road in the Davenport section of Buchanan County and has not been located since. I wanted to bring this to your attention. Number one, in case you know of any of the whereabouts of Myra Ramey, I would love for you to reach out to the Buchanan County Sheriff's Office. Their phone number is 276-935-2313. But another reason that I want to bring this up today is that, unfortunately, Myra Ramey's case had very little attention by really any media agency. When we look at the number of times that places like WCYB and WJHL featured articles about her or stories about her, they are few and far between. Um, the last time that I tried looking for articles about Myra, I found one mention on each of those news media websites. Um, so I want to bring attention to this today, especially given that, number one, she's local, and number two, the students are about to share with you their project on missing persons. So I'm going to turn the show over to them. But again, if you know of the whereabouts of Myra Ramey, please reach out to the Buchanan County Sheriff's Office. I hope that you enjoy the program today. Welcome to Red, White, Confused. We are your hosts, Andrew, Caitlin, and Emily. We are all political science majors here at UVA Wise, and we are participating in Dr. Heather Evans' media and politics class. 
Dr. Evans graciously gave us a spot on her show, to which we have made our own segment, Forgotten Stories and Forgotten Bodies. In this show, we will discuss and examine mass and local media, the types of stories they cover, how they cover it, and the criteria for a newsworthy story. We also hope to find some reason why some missing people cases are reported and why others are not. During this episode, we will get to speak with two guests who are both experts in this field. First, we will meet with Olivia Bailey. Olivia is a Southwest Virginia native of Chilhowee and a graduate of Emory and Henry College. She has more than a decade of experience gathering news across the nation and working for national news outlets like CNN and CBS. She currently serves as an anchor and reporter for the local NBC affiliate, WCYB. Our second guest is Zach Summers. Zach Summers is a sociologist who studies criminology and criminal law. His research focuses on the intersection of news media, race, and crime, as well as the effect of that intersection on perceptions of crime. And for this podcast segment, we wanted to look at Fox News and CNN to compare what society claims to be our media extremes. We include NBC because our local channel, WCYB, is an NBC affiliate. While viewing Fox News, which is often regarded as entertainment media, it is obvious that Fox News does not have a favorable view of President Biden and the Democratic Party. On the other hand, CNN does have a favorable view of President Biden and the Democratic Party, and quite the opposite when referencing the Republican Party. While NBC is listed as left-leaning, a local station such as WCYB usually stays away from politics and focuses on issues that pertain to challenges facing a region or locality. Our first guest, Ms. Olivia Bailey, is here to speak on this, along with talk about her job as a news host for WCYB. Okay, Ms. Bailey. How do they decide what gets covered? So we're at a point um, in media now that it all comes down to staffing a lot of times, um, and that really requires prioritizing uh, the most important details of our story. So um, there are a number of factors that go into that that could change on a daily basis. Um, a lot of times that comes down to how many people is a story going to impact. And uh, just because a story isn't covered one day doesn't mean it's not going to be covered the next. It really just depends on staffing. So if we have, for example, a story that impacts all of Southwest Virginia, that might take precedent on one day based upon a story that's going to impact an individual community. And we may just push that. Or if a situation is breaking or a situation is dangerous or people need to know about something immediately, of course, that takes precedence. And really, um, I think we have a, a solid understanding of what our communities look like and what needs to be disseminated when. And so we're really fortunate to work in local news to be able, um, a lot of our people cover beats. So for example, my beat is Southwest Virginia. And so I try and keep a solid pulse on what's happening across um, the eight counties and two cities that I cover. And so because we're in local media, we're really able to, get, to gather that information. Of course, we have other people in places like Johnson City, Kingsport, Bristol that are also doing the same thing. So it really just comes down, like I said, to staffing and just order of precedence and what we're able to cover at any given time. Great, thank you. All right, the next question is, do local news stations like WCYB, WJHL, do you all take cues from national chains? 
So I would answer that in a way that we are all uh, uh, at this level affiliates of larger um, TV corporations. So we are owned by one company, for example, WCYB is owned by Sinclair Broadcast Group, but we are an NBC affiliate, which means that simply that we just work with NBC to gather and disseminate information across the country. So anytime that you see a story on WCYB that might be from Indiana or Utah or Colorado, there's a chance that that's either come from a sister station of Sinclair Broadcast Group, or that's come from an affiliate station of NBC in that specific community. At the local level, we are not able, obviously, to have the connections or the resources to connect in those communities. And so that's the easiest way uh, for us to partner and um, to gather that information. Now, we also, I mean, just on WCYB, we air our national affiliates programming because we are an affiliate. And as part of that agreement, we run things like the Today Show and NBC Nightly News and things like that. But in terms of, you know, our content coverage, we try and stay local as much as possible. But some of those national stories that you see will come down from our affiliate and station partners as part of that. Now, we read that you did spend some time with CNN. Can you describe this experience and talk about the difference between larger and smaller news outlets? Yeah, so I was at CNN in 2013, and I worked for uh, CNN News Source. So when I talked about that affiliate sharing, that's exactly what I did. We had, at the time, we had uh, 900 stations across the country that were CNN affiliates and also the CNN Wire, which was sending out information about each of those stations at all time and the news that they were covering. And so basically my job was to write stories that we sent down to affiliates that may have been on a national level and then also share the content that was coming in from other stations with stations across the country, things of uh, national interest or regional interest and so I really got to work with the affiliates on a, a local level, which is, I guess, people often don't think of CNN as that. They think of it as the national brand, but a lot of times you are working uh, with affiliate stations. And I was in the editorial meetings every morning, and that was with the president of the company, that was with all of the show producers, the anchors, everybody who was going to be involved in a CNN show that day. And... It was actually just kind of an enlightening experience. We were covering things on a national level. Um, I covered the uh, Trayvon Martin trial and the uh, sentencing on that uh, with George Zimmerman. I covered the birth of King George at the time. Uh, so we were on baby watch for a while. Um, I covered some major points of interest. Uh, the Chelsea Manning case uh, was happening while I was at CNN as well. So I got to see those things unfold on a very basic level. And, you know, you have some of those conversations of, you know, making sure that you have all the right people in place. And sometimes like, for example, working um, on the birth of King George internationally with your partners there. So we had uh, crews from CNN News Source that were doing live shots at all times during the day. Uh, so, I mean, it was really interesting to see and I also worked at CBS Evening News, so that was on a national level as well. I will say that I do enjoy local more because um, you're actually in the community that you're living in. And um, although the national news was very interesting and we were getting national stuff in all the time and working with all these affiliates across the country, it's a lot more meaningful to, for me 
to see the stories that I'm turning impact the lives of the people that I live with around me. And uh, I feel like I was really making a difference and I do make a difference every day in those. Um, sometimes it's hard to see that some days more than others, but I feel like local has a more powerful impact. That's great. Uh, we've got one more question for you today. And it is, how did your experience with CNN influence how you work in a smaller news station today? Well, I worked at WCYB before I went to CNN. So I got to see it one from one side and then from the other and then come back to the local news side. I think it just gave me a, a greater appreciation for how our content on a local level can be viewed nationally and how to be able to distribute that on a national level. So in saying that, pitching stories that might be of national interest. So um, pitching stories that you know, happen, are happening here in our community, but can also be felt in a powerful way across the country. So, um, you know, you think of highlighting people in the community that make a difference here, but those feelings and emotions can be spread across multiple states or multiple regions or districts, however you want to think about it. And when you when you cover hyper-local hyper stuff, which means you're directly in the community, you always want to kind of allow that to reverberate and for people to feel that emotion. So, you know, I just think it really impacted me in how I pitch stories and how I work with other stations and being able to look at other stations and localize content on a very basic level. Okay, thanks for being on the show with us today, Miss Bailey. We really appreciate you fitting us into your busy schedule. All right, for everyone just now tuning in, you're listening to Red, White, Confuse, and we are your hosts, Caitlin, Emily, and Andrew. Up next is Mr. Zach Summers, a sociologist who studies criminology. His research focuses on the intersection of news media, race, crime, and the perception of crime. Orlando and Ariba. Mr. Anariba has been missing since January 1st, 2018. He was 33 at the time of his disappearance. Contact the Richlands, Virginia Police Department at 276-964-9134 for any information regarding his disappearance. Mr. Anariba's disappearance has not made national or local news. Ariana Lemire Brown. Miss Brown has been missing since February 16th, 2022 in Hampton, Virginia. Miss Brown was last seen in need of medical attention. Contact the Hampton Police Department at 757-727-6111 for any information regarding her disappearance. Miss Brown's disappearance has not been reported on any major or local news outlets. On June 3rd, 2011, Lauren Spearier disappeared after a night of partying with friends near her college campus. Despite hundreds of leads and hundreds of media reports, Miss Spearier was never found. She made headlines across the nation, and Lauren Spearier became a household name. In August of 2021, Gabby Petito went missing while on a road trip with her fiancé, Brian Laundrie. It was determined that Laundrie had murdered Miss Petito, as her remains were later found on September 19, 2021. Miss Petito's story raised national attention, and she also became a household name. When someone is reported missing, sometimes you don't always see their photos all over the news and posted on mass media. People of color get much less attention than white people do when they go missing. Cases of missing people of color in the United States are less likely to be solved compared with cases involving white people due to unfair media coverage. Why is this? 
Up next, Mr. Zach Summers. Mr. Zach Summers is here to discuss this question and explain his own research findings in his article, Missing White Women Syndrome, an Empirical Analysis of Race, Gender Disparities, and Online News Coverage of Missing Persons. Can you uh, briefly cover the theories mentioned in the article explaining the race and gender disparities in news coverage of crime? Sure. So there are quite a few, so I won't go through all of them, um, as I'm sure if all of you have taken a look at the article, but at least those of you have, it's a long article. Uh, well aware of that. It's a bit of a beast. Um, so I'll, I'll highlight a couple of the key ones. The first one, I, I won't repeat it, but the damsel in distress uh, theory, I think, is kind of the, the, the crucial uh theory from a gender perspective. Uh, from a race perspective, um, they all kind of, there's a common theme throughout um, them. And so, you know, touching on the theory that I talked about, that's, that Professor Eduardo Bernia Silva has talked about, it's basically this idea that there's a social hierarchy uh, and that uh, essentially uh, that what we see, these disparities in news coverage just reflect things that we see in society writ large, that certain uh, people have more social capital, uh, are, are better able to let better better able to leverage resources to uh, gain attention onto their case or their loved one's case, um, and then also just kind of this implicit: if we give news coverage to certain types of folks, uh, and I think the shorthand for this is when people are skeptical of missing white women syndrome is if you ask someone to name a famous missing person case, if they can, maybe they won't go name any, but if they can odds are pretty good uh, that it's going to be a white woman or a white girl. Um, most of the cases who have, of people who have gone missing that, that captured the national imagination, that's uh, you know the demographic that's been covered. Uh, and so when I think the, the racial element here is that when we are prioritizing the same types of folks and when they tend to be white people over and over and over again, that implicitly suggests that those are the newsworthy cases. Those are the cases that deserve our attention, that those are the people that we uh, as a nation should be caring about have gone missing, uh, as opposed to cases of people who look like, who look like other, or, uh, or from other places who look different, uh, just kind of a, a different background. Uh, it, it kind of reinforces and suggests a hierarchy that we uh, arguably see in other facets of life as well. In the results, you have a table that demonstrates that women are overrepresented in the media population when compared to women in the FBI active missing person file, while men see a reciprocal underrepresentation, can you expand on why this is? Uh, so I think this ties back into the idea of uh, damsels in distress. Uh, so, and again, just to kind of highlight why I think studying abduction and missingness is, is a unique and worthwhile endeavor is just because it's it's different because we have this open question and especially in the age of true crime, uh, docudramas, you know, there's, I'm sure, you know, you open up Netflix and you don't have to scroll very far before you're seeing a true crime documentary, or if it's not even a documentary, you know, a fictionalized take on, you know, pick your poison of however, every, every week there's a new one. So it fits right into that. It's a whodunit type of story. Uh, and so I think um, maybe it's, uh, so I think it definitively, it definitely ties into, um, you know, damsels in stress, like we talked about before, but then it also, maybe we just associate men with crime more. So it, when a man goes missing, uh, and that's, you know, me, as opposed to some of the other associations we've talked to, crime is by far disproportionately, especially violent crime, a disproportionate male phenomenon. It's usually men doing bad things to other men. Um, and so that's not necessarily, a, a, you know, a wrong intuition to have of man goes missing. We say that's, that doesn't quite 
maybe it's news. What, what determines whether a story is newsworthy is because how surprising we find it. So that's not necessarily surprising to us that a man goes missing. Um, if it's uh, a girl or a woman, then we think, oh, you know, something kind of unusual has happened here that, that's worthy of our paying attention to. What that doesn't really fully explain though is, is children, right? So there's no reason why a nine-year-old boy or a nine-year-old girl from a, an associated with criminality perspective, that doesn't explain that at all. Uh, and so then we have to look to other, other things. And I think that's where it ties into uh, damsel in distress uh, or uh, kind of broader points about social hierarchy. But in some ways, I think the end, it's somewhat an, an unsatisfying answer uh, because um, I think if you pull anyone in, in the world, but you know, pull anyone in our country and you say, should we care about a young boy who goes missing? You're not gonna get anyone who says no, right? So it's, how, how do we explain that disconnect? I'm not sure we have a fully satisfactory answer to this point. Can you briefly cover your findings on the coverage intensity involving race and gender? Yeah, so this was a part of the um, paper that I think in some ways sounds uh, a little bit more kind of in the weeds methodologically than it actually is. So I think maybe the most helpful way to start is to just explain in less technical terms what I was hoping to do here. So I, I think at the end of the day, what it motivated me to, to include this coverage intensity portion of the paper is that, yes, I think it's worthwhile to look at who gets covered by the news, right? So I think there's just fundamentally a difference. If, if I go missing, it's gonna, you know, my family's gonna care whether I, I hope, my family's gonna care whether I get news coverage at all or I don't, right? It theoretically is gonna matter to them. But beyond that, there's a difference between, so I'm in Chicago, there's a difference between the Chicago Tribune and the local section running a one-off, you know, 50-word paragraph, Zach Summers went missing, and dozens of news stories covering me across the country or across the state, you know, whatever it may be. I think there's just, there's objectively a difference there in terms of outcomes, in terms of uh, potential effect on the investigation, in terms of family feeling like their case is being taken seriously, any variable you can think of. So I wanted to, to be able to distinguish that because if I only looked at who gets covered, there's no, that difference doesn't get accounted for. So the second part of the paper on coverage intensity is just trying to account for that, to say, okay, are there also differences in terms of when we only look at the folks who got news coverage, do certain people get more coverage than others? Because like I said, hundreds of news articles. So Gabby Petito obviously happened more recently in this case, but Gabby Petito's case, that level of news coverage different than the one-off case that no one really actually reads about. And so what I found there is that the disparities occur at both levels. So there are disparities in terms of who's getting covered, but then there are actually even uh, more profound disparities in terms of the amount of coverage. Uh, so white girls and white women um, make up um, about a third of the individuals who got news coverage in my data, but they accounted for almost half of the articles written about those folks. Uh, so what we're seeing here is that white girls and white women overrepresented in terms of that threshold issue, do they get coverage at all, but then even more substantially overrepresented in terms of the amount of coverage that they receive. Can you briefly describe the final findings of your research? Sure, so I'll keep this brief because I think it kind of touches, I, I jumped the gun there a little bit on the, on the last question, but the, the short version is that, you know, there's kind of two stages of the analysis here uh, and there are disparities at, at both, on both sides. So uh, the FBI data, um, in the footnotes, which everyone loves reading footnotes about methodology, I'm well aware, but the footnotes uh, explain why the FBI data is pretty problematic uh, for a variety of reasons. I'm not gonna go into them here, happy to 
if helpful, my guess is you don't want to as well. But the short version is that it limited, I had to do some uh, it, kind of, you could think of it as using a blunt tool for the first part of the analysis as opposed to, you know, I was using a machete instead of a scalpel. Uh, and so there are disparities there. Um, the accurate way to describe the disparities in the first part of the paper is that uh, black missing persons are underrepresented and women and girls are overrepresented. And then the second stage looking at coverage intensity is when I was able to drill down specifically to find white girls and white women are overrepresented. Uh, and so in short, there are disparities when comparing the folks who went missing on these four websites to the FBI missing person file. Um, and the disparities existed across all four news sources in kind of varying ways. Uh, the disparities didn't play out the exact same way, but there were disparities uh, across all four. And then uh, when just looking within that news, uh, the population of folks who got covered in the news, there were additional and more substantial uh, disparities uh, in terms of the amount of, of coverage intensity or how much news coverage they actually received. Tenth and final question, um, how do we go about fixing a social problem such as this? It's a tough one. Uh, so I think it, it's a hard thing to do because this isn't a centralized issue, right? There's not like we can go to the national or organization of covering missing persons in the news, right? Um, so there's a couple of things that we can do. I think we can think about it both from the perspective of news organizations, but also as consumers, uh, which I think maybe people are, are that less inclined to do this, maybe a more counterintuitive uh, aspect of this. The first is something we I already talked about, so I'll keep it brief, but it's with respect to news organizations themselves, increasing diversity in the newsroom, I think could have a tremendous uh, impact there. Uh, so like I <clears throat> was speaking about previously, ensuring that you have folks with a variety of backgrounds who are going to bring a variety of stories to the table as potential uh, issues to be covered by their organization. Um, from a news consumer perspective, one thing that I try to do uh, is if I see a story, uh, it could be on social media or a news organization about a person who's gone missing from a, an underrepresented group, um, I make sure to click it because at the end of the day, what's driving a lot of this is profit, right? Most news organizations, or at least a lot of them, are for-profit businesses. So they're going to go where their metrics take them. So if there are increased clicks or increased eyeballs on a story or a video about, say, a 65-year-old Asian man who's gone missing, that they're going to react to that in the future. They're going to run more of those stories. So I try to click those. And if you're at all aware with how they measure metrics, it's not actually like click it and then actually read it because they measure things like how long you engage with the article, if you scroll down, like all sorts of things. Um, so I try to give my eyeballs in that way. There also are, uh, as a news consumer, there are, uh, if you are so inclined, plenty of, of nonprofits doing really good work to try to raise awareness here. So you can like them on social media organizations like the Black and Missing Foundation. You can donate to them. Um, you can just try to be as, as small as it might feel. You can try to be a microphone for these stories and, and to just to add another voice uh, to these uh, stories. Because at the end of the day, like I said earlier, you're never going to get pushback of people saying, oh, we shouldn't care about that person who went missing, right? That's never the, that's never going to be the counter argument. Um, the counter argument is, is usually why are you trying to detract from the stories that already have gotten coverage, like Gabby Petito. Uh, and I think the, the response there is, we're not trying to do that, uh, anyone who cares about this issue. We're just trying to expand the pie. It doesn't have to be a zero-sum game. Uh, and so any little thing you can do to help expand that pie, uh, even if it feels like a marginal difference, keeping that conversation going is going to be important because that's the last thing I'll say is I think awareness is the first issue here. Uh, so having this, this dialogue, having this discussion, 
it's a cliche, we hear it in all sorts of different contexts, but if you know the first step to solving a problem, right, is admitting that there is a problem or acknowledging that there is one. So if we don't have these conversations, if you and I, the three of you and I weren't here having this conversation right now, um, you know, one fewer opportunity to, to kind of make this issue better now. Thank you, Mr. Summers. Uh, we really appreciate you joining us today. We would also like to thank our listeners for tuning in today on Red, White, and Confused. And thank you, Dr. Heather Evans, for allowing us this time on your show. We are your hosts, Caitlin, Emily, and Andrew, and you just heard from Olivia Bailey and Zach Summers. Don't forget to tune in next week to hear the last student segment of Red, White, and Confused.